Welcome back to the Vibrantly Gray podcast. I'm your host, Kathy Working. Here in the Vibrantly Gray community, we support older women in pursuing their big dreams. I believe that age should never be a barrier to achieving one's goals and living a meaningful life. In today's episode, I hope you will be inspired and empowered to live your life vibrantly. We have another public health issue. It's a serious one, and most of us don't know about it. It shortens lifespans, contributes to strokes, heart conditions, and depression. It is a painful experience that affects nearly half of Americans. The issue existed prior to the COVID pandemic, and its effects are felt across all ages, and it's preventable. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the epidemic of loneliness. So let's address this issue in this episode as it shows up in older age. I want it to focus on what we can do in our daily lives to assist those who are experiencing loneliness and what we can do if we are personally experiencing loneliness. So what is loneliness? The experience of loneliness differs with each person because it's based on our perceptions of our place in the world. In essence, do we feel connected with others? Do we feel as though we have a place and a purpose for being here? Now, this perception differs because some people have a greater need to be in relationship with others, and some people are more comfortable alone. There is a difference between the experience of loneliness and aloneness. And the basic difference is, is that aloneness is a choice. Perhaps your favorite activities are reading or making art or going for walks in nature. Loneliness is different because there is a mismatch between our need for connection and the reality of our everyday world. We all experience loneliness at times. Maybe it's after a loss of an important person, moving to a new place and getting settled in or retiring from our career where we lose a lot of our general kind of social contacts. But the negative effects of chronic feelings of loneliness can be severe. Some doctors compare it to smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Now, we often think of loneliness as a lack of relationships, that loneliness is a result of isolation, and it can be. But there is another type of loneliness that is rooted in the quality of our current relationships. We can feel lonely when we are around people who don't allow us to be authentic or don't value or respect us. In short, loneliness is prevalent in our society. This is one of the reasons why doctors are starting to talk about it in terms of a public health issue and an epidemic. A 2021 study asked people from all over the world. How often do you feel lonely? In the U.S., 31% of the respondents answered often or always or sometimes, while 41% answered hardly ever or never. Interestingly, Brazil was number one with 50% of the respondents answering often, always, or sometimes. In 2022, a survey of folks 60 to 101 years old 
found that 40 to 50% of them felt isolated, did not feel part of a friend group, or missed having people around them. And this study was conducted by the National Council on Aging. What leads to loneliness? Well, there are a number of factors driving the current epidemic of loneliness for older people. One is the pace of our lives. And that's not necessarily the, the older person who, whose pace has picked up. It might be that they are having a more leisurely, spacious kind of lifestyle. I'm talking about the people, particularly the younger people in their lives. Mobility is an issue. A lot of older people um, aren't able to drive anymore. Perhaps they have some physical limitations in getting out of the house. Memberships in civic and religious groups are lessening. And those were sort of the the traditional uh, places where you would go uh, to meet people and feel a part of things. I'm talking like, I remember when I was a kid, the Kiwanis Club, the Rotary Club, the Lions, as well as the different denominations of churches. Technology has affected our relationships that we build because we might not have a good balance of in-person conversations and technology-aided conversations. As I mentioned before, health issues can really deplete our ability and our energy uh, for creating and sustaining relationships. Financial issues, you know, most of the time getting together with people involves some sort of expense, whether you're going out for dinner or lunch or attending a concert. I remember having a conversation with my mother a couple of years ago. She lives on a, a fixed income. And she had a, a group of old buddies from high school who would meet occasionally for, for lunch. And she was saying that she really wanted to go, but she didn't feel like she could afford uh, to pay for another lunch. So we talked about it and I said, well, why don't you just go and, you know, have a cup of coffee and a cup of soup? Just, you know, make sure that you're there for the connection and spend as little money as possible. Retirement is a big factor uh, in driving loneliness for older people. For many of us, our social world really focused around our career. These are the people we saw every day. They were not necessarily deep relationships, though they could be, but they, they gave us an opportunity for social connection. And once we retire, oftentimes those relationships fade away as well. And then the the old culprit of ageism, older people become invisible. Younger people, middle-aged people kind of forget about people as they age and don't pay that much attention to the older person's social needs. So I hope you're getting the idea that loneliness is a real problem in our society. How do we address it? How do we start lessening the number of people who are responding that they're chronically lonely? And how do we prevent some of the ill effects of loneliness for people? Well, unfortunately, addressing loneliness is a tricky business. For many people, it's a taboo subject. They don't want to talk about it because of 
feelings of shame associated with low self-worth, such as the belief that they're unlovable. Everyone else has relationships. Why don't I? What's wrong with me? And so these limiting beliefs can lead to silence and continued suffering. Now, when we're thinking about people over 50 and 60 and their silence about loneliness, part of their silence is a result of the generational reticence to discuss feelings. When we were kids, we were taught to not talk about feelings. You have a stiff upper lip and you carry on. A group of researchers are working on what they call the Loneliness Project, and they're interviewing older people. And one of their participants, her name is Polly, she's 73, she explained it this way. If you don't think about it, if you don't give it words, then you don't have to feel the pain. How long is it since men cried in public? The rule was never cry. Big boys don't cry. That is certainly what was said when I was growing up. It was a different generation. So in response to the issue of loneliness in the United Kingdom, in 2018, it created the position of Minister of Loneliness. The job of the minister is to create the infrastructure needed to create a climate of connection in the UK. One of the minister's first project was a TikTok campaign designed to encourage users to talk openly about their experience of loneliness. The campaign is called Let's Talk Loneliness. Another project was establishing a Loneliness Awareness Week. Another one of the consequences of loneliness is depression, as I mentioned before. This can make it tricky to address loneliness in people when people have depression because the top three signs of depression are continuous low mood or sadness, feeling hopeless and helpless, and having low self-esteem. So these symptoms can loop back on us and inhibit our ability to seek out or maintain relationships. People with depression often are less attentive to their partners, less involved in the relationship, more irritable, or have trouble enjoying time together with their important people, all of which can cause your relationships to falter. So what this sets up is a downward spiral, the relationship between loneliness and depression. Or in other words, it's the classic chicken and the egg scenario. So what can we do if we are experiencing loneliness or if we want to create a what I'm calling a loneliness buffer in our lives? One of the things that I have uh, realized after years of teaching students about uh, relationships and about communicating effectively in relationships is that they kind of believe that relationships just happen. We go through relationships on automatic pilot, not really giving it a lot of uh, thought. When in fact, relationships take work. They, they, They demand attention. They just don't happen. They take work to get started, and they require effort to maintain. So one of the things that might be helpful for you, I do this on a regular basis, is 
making what I call a relationship inventory. And this is where you list all of the different kinds of relationships you have in your life currently. And once you've done that, then go back and ask yourself for each relationship, is this one that could use some work or repair? Maybe I haven't talked to this person for a really long time, or maybe I haven't returned their phone calls, or maybe I just haven't seen them for, it could be in some instances, years. Identify which relationships you'd like to deepen, which relationships are going just fine for you. You feel as though they are positive, they're supportive, and it just feels you know good to be around that person or to be in contact with that person. And then which ones are not fulfilling to you and don't deserve increased effort? These might be the problematic people in your life. And so you can decide whether you want to set up boundaries for that or just not engage in the relationship at all. At the end of the relationship inventory, you should have a pretty good idea of the state of your relationships. And you can look at the ones that you think might need some work or repair and the ones that you would like to deepen and start utilizing some of the skills that I'm going to suggest to you so you can deepen those bonds. Let's work on our social skills, okay? Again, many times people think that communication just happens, relationships just happen, and that's not true at all. A really good book that I will put in the show notes is by Dr. John Gottman, And it's an old book, but a good one. It's called The Relationship Cure, a five-step guide for building better connections with family, friends, and lovers. And one of the key social skills that he discusses in that book is what he calls bids for connection. A bid for connection is um, a way of saying to another person, hey, I want to I want to talk with you. I want to spend time with you. And some of us are good at bidding for connection and others lack the skill. Either we are not direct enough and we expect other people to read our mind, or we start off on what Gottman calls a sour note, such as, being confrontational with a person, which is hard to think about as a bid for connection, but conflict is a bit a bid, a type of bid for connection. Or we might start off by complaining about something that our relational partner did or is doing. So thinking about being direct in our bidding is very helpful. Hey, I would really like to meet you next week for lunch so that we can catch up on our lives. That's a direct bid for attention. Now, bids can be both verbal and nonverbal. So touch can be involved in bidding for connection. Gottman goes on to say that it's not just how we bid to other people that helps build connection, but it's how we respond to the bids of others. So sometimes somebody might bid for connection with us and we might say, we might turn towards them and 
in in our response and say, oh yes, I'm I would love to get together next week for lunch with you. Let's make sure that we set aside plenty of time so we can catch up. Or we might turn what Gottman calls away from the bids of others. And that might be that we just ignore them or say, nah, I don't I don't have time to meet. Turning away from the bids of others obviously increases the likelihood that the relationship will not deepen. Or we can do what Gottman calls turning against. And that is where you are confrontational with with the person who is bidding for connection. And that could be both non-verbally as well as verbally. Another social skill that's really important when trying to deepen relationships and build those connections is listening. And we often think that communication involves speaking the right words, but listening skills, uh, listening to another person's thoughts and feelings and interests, is, it's really powerful. You can start listening to them to understand their life and their feelings, but it requires that we become mindful listeners. And that means that we are paying attention to what the other person is saying to us that we are maintaining eye contact if we're face-to-face, that we are listening for ways that we can ask questions as kind of a follow-up to what the person is expressing. So thinking about becoming a great listener, it can be a huge gift to a relationship and to that partner. Number three, we can start using technology to maintain connections. And You know, I agree that technology use can be a problem, but because we live in such a mobile society, we might not be neighbors with the person that we got along so well with anymore, or our children and grandchildren might live in different parts of the country or even the world. So I like to think of technology as a tool to maintain connections. Primarily, you can meet people on on the internet or you know using technology i'm not disregarding that but i think that the greatest gift that technology can give us is our ability to maintain connections particularly with with video available to us so readily these days one of the things that as i was doing my research for this episode is you know trying to pinpoint how technology use can be learned in older populations because not knowing how to use the technology can also be a barrier. Thankfully, there are now programs and tablets that are designed for older people who are new to technology. Here's just a couple of them, and you can do a quick search and find out about other programs as well. So for example, there is a new app that's called Easy Tablet Help for Seniors, which teaches seniors how to use an iPad. I bought my mother during the COVID lockdown a GrandPad tablet, which is um, a tablet that is specifically designed for new elderly users. Icons are big, fonts are big, very simple. And it also provides video as well as just audio streaming. There are also curricula out there that some nonprofits are using to teach seniors about using 
technology. Now, the good thing is that about three out of five seniors now have internet connections and know how to use a smartphone or a iPad or tablet. I think that number has probably gone up as a result of the COVID pandemic. The fifth idea that I have for you is after doing your relationship inventory, if you're thinking, oh gosh, this is pretty lean, I probably need to to make some new connections. And then the next question becomes, so how am I going to do that? One of the things that I've decided to do in my life is I spend a lot of time doing service to my community through volunteering with community events and nonprofits. So there's, you know, lots of of ways that you can, there's there's a great need for volunteers. Could be, you know, serving food to people without homes. It can be all sorts of, you know, different activities that you might be interested in. You can also join activity-related groups. There might be classes that you want to go to. You know, I have found that the library is a really good place for meeting people. They have book clubs, photography clubs. They do yoga there. The YMCA is also a good place to meet people. Senior centers, there's some really good senior centers around that provide both exercise classes as well as enrichment classes such as art and music and field trips and and, and that kind of thing. Cycling clubs might be something you'd be interested in. Or if you feel very strongly about some political or social causes, that is also a a great way to meet like-minded people. And the other option is that, that if you aren't aware of some of a group in your area centered around your particular interest, you can create your own. The last suggestion that I have for creating a loneliness buffer for yourself is to adopt or foster a pet. I've surrounded myself with, with uh, pets all my life. Animals bring me great joy. But research does show that Pets can be a a good companion for older people. If you're not in a living situation where adopting or fostering a pet is permissible, uh, you can volunteer at your local shelter or your animal sanctuary. I found out about the importance of pets, you know, dogs in in particular, in the lives of uh, older citizens when I had a, a therapy dog that I would take to assisted living centers, senior centers, and just that touch, the unconditional love of you know a dog just really touched their hearts. So those are a few tips if you are wanting to decrease loneliness in your life or you're not feeling lonely currently, but you want to prevent feelings of loneliness from from happening. And all of these take time and they take effort. If you're not currently experiencing loneliness, there are things that you can do to create a culture of connection for others who are. First is to take the information from this episode and remember it so that you can recognize the signs of loneliness in others. So what are those signs again? withdrawal from people, quietness, 
physical ailments popping up, sadness, irritability. Now, these might not be stemming from loneliness, but have a conversation about what's going on with them so that you can find out if it's coming from a feeling, their feelings of loneliness. If you are a healthcare provider, look for those signs of risk and engage in conversation with your patient, even if it is a painful one. Oftentimes, uh, for older people, their healthcare providers, they are the people with whom they have the most honest uh, conversations with. You can join groups whose mission is to provide activities and social interaction for elders. And those are popping up. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that with our newfound attention on the prevention of loneliness, that even more nonprofits and groups will receive funding and opportunities for um, activities uh, for, for the elders. Uh, the nonprofit that I run has um, uh, an elder art program now where we go once or twice a month to assisted living centers and provide art classes and uh, to to small groups. There's usually eight to 10 people uh, in each class. And it's a great way for them to be creative, but also to be together in an activity-based kind of setting and to have fun with making art. Researchers are finding that intergenerational connections seem to be really beneficial. So encouraging young people to believe it was in England, the, the Minister of Loneliness has instituted a program where young people who are going to college um, are given a room in an elderly person's home so that they can form a, you know, a relationship, a friendship with that person and kind of keep an eye on the older person and ease those feelings of loneliness that can occur when we're living by ourselves. Small group programs are preferable over one-on-one -on -one programs. There's just kind of a sense of ease and it also fosters communication between older people as they engage in the activity. Fourth suggestion is to become a listener. We're going back to the, the listening skill again. Create a safe space for others to share their feelings. You recall that I said earlier that it's just, it's really difficult for this particular generation to share their feelings. And so becoming a listener can be really cathartic for them. In the Loneliness Project, Janet, who was 75, explained in her interview that she felt what was lacking from her life was a space where she could talk about, make sense of, and reflect on the biographical pain she had accumulated over her life. She says, this is what I miss a lot, a private space to talk. All my life I've suffered and some things I do find very hard. With everything that's gone wrong, I would like to talk to somebody. No advice. I just want to let off steam, make sense of it all, I suppose, but it doesn't happen. As I said earlier, there's a lot of information 
that can be found that you can share with elders who are in need of resources. The AARP has partnered with some nonprofits to create a portal where there are free classes. They also have some educational materials that will help elders who are struggling with the social skills needed to develop relationships. The National Council on Aging has some really great resources and the area agencies on aging um, also have a lot of tips and resources for easing feelings of loneliness in our elder population. So my final tip is to become what I'm calling a connection guide for someone who is feeling lonely. Help them find local activities. Become a resource for them. Help them find transportation that fits their needs. Help them find you know people who share uh, interests and make it make all of these things fit within their capabilities, both physically as well as financially. Above all, and I say this with a good deal of irony, let them know they are not alone in experience loneliness. Lots of us experience loneliness. And we just need to start talking about it. And we need to create opportunities that build bridges between us. So I referred back to the Surgeon General, Dr. Murphy, earlier, and he outlines six pillars of a new national strategy in this country to combat loneliness. Now, mind you, this just came out recently. One is what he calls strengthening social infrastructure. So supporting things like parks and libraries, as well as public programs, kind of going back to the traditional public gathering places, enacting pro-connection public policies at every level of government, including things like accessible public transportation or paid family leave, mobilizing the health sector to address the medical needs that stem from loneliness. Number four reforming digital environments to critically evaluate our relationship with technology. Number five, deepening our knowledge through more robust research into the issue of loneliness. And finally, number six, cultivating a culture of connection. Now, these all sound great for all of these proposals, but they're fairly abstract and we know it will take years for implementation. So in the meantime, we can mobilize to help ourselves and others feel connected. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you did, please join our community on Facebook. There, you will find reading suggestions, meaningful dialogue, and additional stories of women who are going big. The link is posted in the show notes. As Betty Friedan said, aging is not lost youth, but a new stage of opportunity. So let's do it together.